You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Envy Invest. For more information, go to envyinvest.com. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of RE Social Podcast. Today, we have Jake Bohans from the great state of Florida. What's up, bro? Not much. I'm excited to be on. Where you are? I moved out, I moved out of Florida three, four months ago, so I'm just getting used to people saying that. Oh, nice, man. Where did you uh, move from? New Hampshire. That's cool, man. So for people who don't know who you are, is there a 90-second intro that you can do so people know what, what's going on with you? 90-second intro, man. We uh, So essentially, my business partner and I started our real estate business in college. Uh, it's a direct-to-seller acquisitions company. Um, we focus on wholesale and, and fix and flip and buy a property, but we essentially started in college and uh, are looking to scale it up right now. We're in the midst of that. Nice, man. So how like how many wholesale deals do you guys do per year like five ten one thousand a thousand that's the goal no <laughs> we have to have a big team for that so right now we had gone we essentially went full-time back in october of last year uh but if you count just this 20 year 2023 you've done about anywhere between 20 to 25 deals uh i think for a little over three hundred thousand in revenue this year so um we're really just scaling up the the team as of now. And like I had said before we started recording, our goal is to really get into the owner's box in the next two years. So I'm working on building out the acquisition side, which predominantly consists of lead generation, lead follow-up, closing the deal, right? And then my, my partner, Isaiah, focuses on the disposition of the deal, uh, which is selling it to investors. Um, and I guess wholesaling, for anyone who doesn't know what that is in layman's terms, it is essentially... Um, Acquiring off-market properties, we'll put a property under contract, say at $100,000. Uh, maybe the thing's worth two fifty dollars fixed up, right? We're going to sell that contract to maybe a fix and flipper for, for $115,000, right? And we make a spread there. So we're really the acquisition side. We're the legwork because a lot of fix and flippers, they don't want a cold call. They don't want a cold text. They don't want to do all that work. So they'd rather uh, team up with people who specialize that in that, right? Direct-to-seller acquisitions. Uh, I just pay him a fee for the deal. Yeah, man, I love wholesalers. Um, um, I've used um, plenty. I I have a few that I like in my markets and I do work with them. Um, So so for people who are listening, you know, I want to I want to kind of make them understand how this works. So let's say you're you're listening to this podcast and you're like, hey, I would like to wholesale. What's the first step? Am I opening a Yellow Pages book and try to or am I looking at expired listings on Zillow to develop a list? What, what are you doing there? If we're, if we're going to be as effective as we can and as efficient as we can, I'd say the first thing to do is join a, a group, a community, whether it's a free Facebook group or something where you can get direct access to people who are doing the thing. Um, there's so many parts to it to, to complete the entire transaction. I like to tell people, hey, go squat up, go find people who are doing deals in your market, whether it's going to your local RIA or a Facebook group and see how you can get your hands on a deal, right? Maybe it's not an A to Z transaction that's going to intimidate a lot of people because it's like, okay, how do I, what do I do to call the seller? And now the seller's on the phone. What do I do when they say yes? What are the questions I ask? How do I get the contract signed? How do I sell the deal, right? So there's a lot of moving parts, but I'd say if you want to get into wholesaling, get into a community, get around people who are doing it and see if you can get your hands on a transaction, whether that's just generating leads um, or, or whatever. Uh, but additionally, if you did want to go start on your own, the first thing to do, uh, I would say, would be driving for dollars, which is driving around your neighborhood looking for the ugliest properties that you can possibly find, writing them down on a notepad, 
Uh, and then you can use Google Voice if you didn't want to use your own phone. It's essentially Google's uh, phone service. You can get another caller ID and you can use it as your quote unquote business line. Um, and I'll just throw those really ugly houses in an Excel sheet and just call them and ask the seller, hey, would you consider ever consider an offer on your property? Okay, so you will do that. And then you, uh, and how did you find the names of the uh, guys who own it? You need to do some kind of skip tracing or? Yep. So if we want to go the completely free method that anyone can do, I would drive around, say you get a hundred properties in your neighborhood that are, that are beat up, right? So what do these properties look like? They got the shutters falling down, the grass may be overgrown, mail coming out of the mailbox, maybe the siding or roof is in bad shape. Put those in an Excel sheet and then you can go to True People Search if you want to do it for free. And you can put in the address, find the name and the number. Um, there's some other paid services like Batch Skip Tracing, which is going to be a lot more accurate. It's about 15 cents a record. So if you have a couple hundred bucks to spend, or not even a couple hundred, if it's a hundred records, it'll only be 15 bucks um, to do that. But once you get the numbers, you can call through them. Um, hey, Mr. Seller, this is Jake. I know this is out of the blue. I wanted to see if you'd ever consider an offer on your property. If they say yes, uh, to keep it very basic, there's four things that you want to get from the seller. Uh, the condition of the property, uh, which you probably already know if you've been driving around that it's poor, but you want to confirm that. What's their timeline? Are they looking to sell it right now or are they looking to sell it in six months? Their motivation, what's the reason that they're selling? It could be distress of the, of the real estate asset or it could be personal distress, financial situation, other things are going through, right? Divorce, pre-foreclosure, things like that. So you want to kind of understand the motivation and then their price. What price are you looking to get? We call those the four pillars of pre-qualifying. So that's condition, timeline, motivation, price. Um, so to answer that question, you get the list, you skip trace it on true people search. Uh, and if you get a seller on the line that says, yeah, I would consider an offer on my property. All you need to do is just go through those four pillars of pre-qualifying, condition, timeline, motivation, price, and, and see if you can kind of get them in that ballpark price range and, and make an offer. And you don't go after terms on this, I assume, because you're trying to get the contract to sell to someone or do you? Terms? Yeah. Terms, for example, if they want to carry the note or, you know, want to accept. Oh, emails. yeah. Oh, you do that too? We do it. We actually just sold an owner finance deal in Tampa Bay. It was uh -huh. a turnkey short-term rental. Um, purchase price was $250,000. The entry fee uh, or what we like to call the total total yes. cost in for a, for a buyer. So that would include down payment wholesale fee, any renovations, closing costs. That was about 20%. Uh, we had a 5% interest rate with the seller in a five-year balloon term or payoff term. Um, so wasn't a bad deal. We, when we're looking at owner finance, anything that we can get that is better than the current bank rate is generally going to be attractive for investors. So uh, this one was a tough one. Isaiah did get it get it sold at the, at the last minute there. We had a tough seller. She was a tough customer. She was from Texas. Um, but she wasn't putting up with any crap. So it was tough. We had to go back and renegotiate a couple of times, but, uh, but we got it done. But yeah, we're always looking at owner finance. We've done actually a couple of subject to deals as well. Um, we're dealing with one up in Maine right now. We sold one in Las Vegas and one in Philly so far. Uh, but those are tough, man. I mean, eh, we try to stay away from them, honestly. Uh, I know there's certain people and really push the whole subject to thing. And it can be a good option. Like the two people that we had helped they were in pre-foreclosure. So it, it really did make sense for their situation, but it's a lot of paperwork. You got to make sure you have a transaction coordinator. And in our experience, it's been the most work and the least money that we've made doing subject to. So good tool to have in your tool belt, but it can be a lot of work. And what kind of discounts do you usually see, not just uh, subject to or owner carry, just in general, when you go wholesaling equity-wise? 
Mm. So equity wise, you're going to be looking, I mean, typically you're buying these things about 60 cents on the dollar. So our basic formula that will follow for a cash deal is ARV times 75%, right? Minus repair, minus wholesale fee. Um, and just to clarify it, so why are we discounting at 25% right off the bat? That's gonna, that 25% is gonna take into consideration investor profit, right? Because if we're selling to a flipper, we wanna take that into account. So anywhere from 10 to 15% minimum usually, it's gonna include 8% selling costs on the back end for the flipper. So that's gonna be 6% realtor costs, 2% closing costs. And then it's gonna factor in um, roughly whatever the percentage is left, a uh, few percentage for holding costs, right? Because typically flippers are using hard money. Um, so those, those are predominantly all of your costs. And then you're going to subtract out what we think rehab is minus wholesale fee. So when you, when you whittle that down, depending on the condition, I mean, you're anywhere from in the sixties, you know, maybe, maybe in the fifties, if it needs a ton of work. Okay. That's pretty good. So if, if an uh, investor is able to get a hold of it and there's no flipper involved, there's not a need to have a profit twice. So they can actually benefit a lot by going directly to you, right? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Um, so investors, a lot of times when we sell these deals, we'll put them out to our, our VIP buyers first. So I like to think of it as on the back end with our buyers, every buyer has a, a food order, just like they're at a restaurant, right? So they got specific order. Okay. We know John is looking for a, under a thousand square feet, two bed, one bath in the Tampa Bay area, right? So if we get a property in that area, we're going to dish it across John's plate. Well, we know Stacy is looking for above 1500 square feet, only three, two houses in St. Pete's. We get something like that. It goes over to her. So connecting with wholesalers, whether myself or other people is a great way to uh, find off-market opportunities because you know as well as I do, there's not much on the market for deals these days. So it's tough. Yeah, that's cool. How are the how are the insurance, man? You guys are so close to the coast, right? So um, is the insurance jacked up right now or is it manageable? Or what's the deal? Yeah, the, I've talked to a few sellers. Now we're not dealing with it too much because we don't really own property down here. But in the sellers I've talked to, yeah, it is it is kind of an issue. Actually, a few sellers have been looking to sell for that reason. Um, their insurance has doubled, even tripled in some situations. So I'm not really sure the reason for that. I, I guess insurance companies are just pulling out because of, of the weather and things like that, hurricanes, and they don't want the risk. But it's pretty wild, honestly. Like insurance rates doubling and even tripling. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Um, especially for for people with rentals trying to cash flow. Yeah, it kills the cash flow. Um, we're having a lot of uh, exodus and exit from California as well. A lot of the insurance companies have left, so we have less options, and it does go up uh, the prices too. Yeah, man. Okay, yeah, so that's California cool. is just yeah. crazy prices in general, though, isn't it? You're in SoCal, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm in probably one of the most expensive markets in the world, probably. Yeah, wild. Yeah. I know people who are still getting it done out there. I know people who wholesale out there. Price points are crazy, but your spreads are probably much bigger, right? Because if you're dealing with say eight hundred, an average price of eight hundred thousand or seven hundred thousand, five percent of seven hundred thousand is much more than five percent of three hundred thousand, obviously. So, um, has its has its advantages and disadvantages. Yes, uh, it's more high risk, high reward kind of situation, and you know, it's uh, I don't do any of um, any wholesaling or, or buying and selling stuff. I'm a purely a buy and hold investor. I raise capital for it, and then we just hold on to property. So. What we've yeah. seen is the appreciation wise, uh, it does tend to go up um, more than other markets. But, you know, you have to, uh, you know, there's always, there's you, you always have to pay for something, right? So the payment here is you could have squatters who don't have to pay rent for up to a year. So if mm -hmm. you can, if you have the capability to take on that kind of uh, 
risk and uh, not risk or you have the cash to support those kind of stuff. Eventually, California, you would um, usually make more in terms of equity. And we've certainly seen that over the last few years. Yeah, that makes sense. So much more of a appreciation market than a cash flow market. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, there's no cash flow. Even if you put yeah. uh, 30% down, you got to put have 50% down and then have a very low cap rate and then hope um, to get it on the back end in terms of appreciation, which is usually the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Well, that's really where you get a lot of your real wealth, though, is in equity gain, though. You know, it's not really cash flow. I mean, people preach, oh, financial freedom, live off the cash flow. But anyone who owns property knows you don't really live off the cash flow. You kind of got to keep that for reserves, you know, because anything goes wrong. I mean, there's there's a year of cash flow, two years of cash flow, especially on those smaller properties. Yeah, man, that was that was actually a really good point that you mentioned. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to your portfolio because usually... People who just do wholesaling or flips, they don't understand that. That's a good point that you made. So for guys who are listening, um, you know, what he's talking about is, you know, you don't really gain wealth from cash flow, right? So you, the, the way you gain wealth in real estate is to buying assets and holding onto it for a long time. And then you, you see the, the wealth in the, the back end. That's, that's really where you see it. But, you know, um, I always tell people, you know, in, in order not to be upside down or lose the property, which is, it's possible is you want to have a property that is self-sustaining or you don't lose money on it unless you're like hey bro i make half a million dollars a year losing thousand dollars a month is nothing for me okay that's a different game that's fine but what happens if you lose your job you are you gonna lose the property too so you know those kind of things you want to be aware of so so uh, let's go back to you more um so you're doing this um wholesaling stuff and you uh made a uh a a gross revenue of 300k or is it net yeah gross i think just a little yeah. bit over that but gross yeah this year that's cool man we that's more- really scaled it up because the beginning of the year like i was cold called beginning of the year it's actually wild mm-hmm. you ever hear the hear the saying like if you don't look back in a year and think that you were like an idiot then you're not progressing fast enough i look back a year ago like holy crap like what was i doing a year ago mm-hmm. um so 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 much has happened but really the thing that's propelled us to get there and then our goal for the 2024 is a million for like the year 2024. It's really going to be the team. So the team um, and, and leveraging talent. And that's what we're getting into now. It's less about me operationally. Like, yeah, I can close deals. I can do all those things. That's great. But that doesn't get me off the hamster wheel, right? What gets me off the hamster wheel? Leadership, right? Leadership, attracting the right talent, managing the right talent, keeping the right talent. So that's been something that um, I didn't really, I mean, I guess I knew it, but I didn't really realize how important it was until we had three or four people working for us. And I'm like, dang, like I need to, to hone in on, on some leadership skills so I can uh, obviously encourage them, support them, push them and really get them functioning at the level that we need to hit our goals. How did you, um, how did you figure out a way to you have the mindset to think about like a team? Because it took me a long time to actually get a VA or, you know, get somebody else working, you know, I'm mm-hmm. always like, oh, I should do it. I'm doing the CPA's work, the tax attorney's work, you know, everything, bookkeeping. So how did you, uh, did you go to take classes? Did you go to be in a mentorship program or? Yeah, I'm in a few mentorships, but I think just from all the information that I had consumed, podcasts, the communities I'd been around, everyone's using VAs for lead generation. Everyone has a team, right? It's just kind of commonplace. So I think I just always knew that that was the path. Because everyone that I had followed who was building out the acquisition side, I'm kind of following their model in a sense, which is right VAs for lead generation, 
Uh, we actually have a VA for our lead manager. Uh, but once once I go to hire an acquisition rep, that's going to be, I'll probably go on it. Ideally, I can just attract the acquisition manager. You know, I'm doing live seller calls on my Facebook group and other things. So hopefully I can kind of attract that talent. Uh, but otherwise, I'd look look in the States to hire an acquisition manager for sure. That's been the biggest thing, though, in regards to the team is just understanding that and, and kind of scaling that up. But man, it was it's crazy. Like I, I just got a, a, a new lead manager. So basically, acquisitions is bro- broken down into three parts. And you could say this is for any really, this is just sales in general, right? You have lead generation, right? So that could be cold calling, texting, pay-per-click, which is Google, TV, radio, anything that brings in sellers that say, hey, I want to sell my property. I have a reason to sell my property. And then you have what's called a lead manager, or you can call them an appointment setter, or in the corporate world, this is like a business development representative or a sales development representative that sets appointments for the account executive. Um, So then you have a lead manager who's filtering through all these leads, and they're going to set appointments for the closer with uh, for people whose timeline is within 60 to 90 days, right? So those people that are far out, four or five, six months out, seven months out, that's going to be a lead manager follow-up. So I just put that lead manager into the role and I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, I don't have to, to sort through these new leads. Like I, I was thinking today, like I almost feel a little unproductive because I'm used to doing those tasks. But then I thought to myself like, hey, I'm actually being more productive, right? I kind of fired myself from that whatever dollar an hour task it is. Right now I'm on to higher level or higher dollar per hour tasks. So when you're starting out building the business, you're wearing all the hats, right? I'm cold calling, which is a very low dollar per hour task. And slowly you fire yourself by hiring people so that you're doing only the most, the highest income earning tasks, right? Which in the end is just being a manager or, or whatever it is. But hiring some of those key roles has been has been huge and getting those things off my off my plate. That's a good point, man. You know, I always wanted to ask this to a lot of the entrepreneurs such as yourself. I think this will be very good for listeners to follow is I'll give you an example too uh, for myself. So when you're transitioning from single party like you and then bringing on people while you're building the business, you know, your cash flow is usually tight. Sometimes you would have to go negative to get those people to work for you while you make the money, right? So for example, for me, you know, I am trying to do the same thing, but my cost to run the business is almost $55,000 a month, right? And I only bring in $55,000, a month, right? Now what happens if two tenants in California stop paying and then I have to replace a roof? I'm immediately negative 10 grand, right? So the way mm-hmm. I'm able to run my business is because uh, me and Drew, my other business partner, we we make like, you know, together like 250 300 a year so we're able to use that funds from our regular jobs and he has a business music school and be able to funnel that here so we can keep the company afloat but so how would you tell people who don't have that or do you have to take a loan to hire these people to to improve your cash flow you know when do you when is the time to actually make that decision right that's why i'm still doing a lot of the stuff not because I love doing accounting and bookkeeping is because, you know, I would have to pay for it out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I think, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's relatively inexpensive to get started. I mean, we're we're running at about $10,000 a month in expenses. Okay. And I don't know what we're doing in terms of revenue, but I'd say we're operating at like a, gotta be like a four, at least a four extra turn, right? So maybe we bring in 40000 a month, right? Um, if you average it out. So I think partially use of virtual assistants in the Philippines, 
Um, because you can pay them like under $10, under $10 an hour to do their tasks, right? And over there, it's like they're making like $30 an hour, right? So they're like feeding their whole family. It's like a freaking great win-win. Um, and we're able to leverage someone so we can afford, right? But to answer your question, we we just leverage credit cards. I mean, probably not the best financial advice, but we did leverage credit initially to get started because we were in college. I mean, we didn't we had money, but we're like, we had the money, honestly, to kind of get it started. But we're like, let's just leverage the credit anyways. So I think we had our first credit limit was like $10,000 and we were only operating like $1,000 or $2,000 a month to get one cold caller. If you were to go get a cold caller from the Philippines, you probably could spend like $1,000 a month on that. Then you got to pay for maybe a cold calling dialer and some data. You're all in for $2,000, uh, $2,500 a month to get started. Um, once you scale it up, it'll be more. But um, but yeah, I think leveraging credit, just because the monthly expenses weren't too, too much, uh, as we look to scale this thing up, though, uh, going further, I know that those expenses are going to shoot up um, pretty significantly. I know some of the top wholesalers and operators in the country, are they shoot for that 50% profit margin. Um, but it seems like when you're scaling a business, right? Say you're only making $500,000 a year, you might, you might be operating at like a 70% profit margin. Like your expenses might only be 30%, right? But say you have a $5 million business, you might be operating at like a 30% profit margin, right? But 30% of 5 million is much more than say 70% of, of 500,000, right? So as you look to scale this thing, your profit margin seems to get a little bit smaller, but that percentage in absolute terms is a greater number of money or a greater amount of money, if that makes sense. Um, but to answer your question, it wasn't too, too expensive getting started. We leveraged some credit. So people could do that as long as they're responsible and understand the risks involved with that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Jake, I don't know if you mentioned this earlier. Did you say that you took mentorships or lessons? Yeah. So we we joined Sub2, which is Pace Morby. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Yeah. We joined that a couple of years ago. That's phenomenal. Ton of content in there. Again, the biggest thing with that, I think, is the community, man. Like the being a part of a community is so is so important. I recently started my own community, um, Optimize REI. It's just a Facebook group right now, but it's kind of my give, my my give back to the community. Uh, on Saturdays, I'm doing live role plays and me actually like live seller calls. I'll call the people sellers, call my sellers for for people who are like, hey, I've never called a seller. Or I've never done a deal or I'm trying to get my first deal or get started. I'm in there showing you how to do the thing. I'm not just sitting here preaching about it. Like I'm actually showing it. Um, so whether it's optimized or it's sub two or you want to get in these different communities, like go join someplace because entrepreneurship is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And I think one of the biggest obstacles people run into is especially with their families, like their families go get a real job, go do this, go do that, right? It can be very tough if you're not around other people with the mindset, you're going to get yanked right out of it and you're going to quit and you're not going to make it um, when you're when you're facing those difficult times. I think the biggest first step for anyone looking to get into it or take it to the next level is getting around like-minded people, you know? Have you thought about investing in real estate and taking advantage of all of those benefits without any of the work? That is something that On the Invest not only provides, but has been providing since its inception. With friends and family, we have built an empire in a system of a wealth generating tool that is giving us and our friends and family that leverage in their life to create true wealth. Go to ontheinvest.com for more to see if you qualify. And thanks for listening. Yeah, man, that's that's a that's a really good point. Um, we have our own uh, meetups here in Orange County. It's called Already Social, same name. 
Um, we have one on Monday and, you know, it's interesting, you know, um, um, I've been doing it for, um, a year or two years, I think now, actually, um, it just started during the pandemic. Same with the podcast too. It's going around the same time. We spend about 15 to $20,000 a year running just my podcast, uh, dinners wow. and, uh, you know, having those meetups and stuff. And I mean, you could say that we really don't have any returns from it. Right. Uh, but I mean, I have raised six figures from, uh, from the people who come to the meetup because they, they realized that, I mean, we were kind of like, just, this is like, you know, how you have your Facebook group. This is like our, um, return back to the community, like in terms of like, and people see like, mm -hmm. okay, anybody who's doing it for this long, spending that much money, they really value it. And, you know, is that why you do it too? You kind of like starting your own circle of people. And it's kind of nice to see that you can help other people buy their first property, second property too. 100%. You don't see that direct return, but I mean, it's just kind of universal laws, you know, you give, you shall receive it. That stuff comes back around. I'm a true believer in that. So I think it's just the right thing to do to be a good person to give back. But also you build your brand and your credibility. You're the one leading these people. And I think a lot of people have imposter syndrome and it's a big thing. Well, well who am I to go start a community or be loud on social media or do the things like I've only done five deals. Well, what about the person who's done one deal? Well, I've only done one deal. Like, who am I to even who to tell my story? What about the people who haven't even done a deal? Right? Well, I've only made a few calls. Who am I to tell my story? Well, what about the people who haven't even made a call? Right? So not comparing yourself to other people who are at the end goal, whatever that is, which is just going to change once you get there. Um, and just kind of sharing, sharing where you're at, right? Because if I waited where I'm at right now, we've done a handful of deals this year, right? If I waited to go on some podcasts and get a lot of social media, once we had a multi-million dollar business, there's, it's going to be tough to connect with someone who's, who's making their first phone calls, right? I'm not even really going to remember that time too, too much. Um, but by being loud about where I am in my current situation, I kind of catch those people and hopefully they kind of grow with me as I, as I go along my journey. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, you never compare, you know, as long as it's positive, it's good. But yeah, I mean, I, I always joke, like I, I see people on my social media and they're like, oh, join my mastermind. And they're like teaching how to do it. And I'm like, you have one house. Like what is happening? Yeah. Like, like you have a house which is worth less than my toilet in one of my house. Like it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but, you know, but they have like a lot of followers and people listen to them. And I'm just like, wow, that's yeah. crazy. You know, They have a better yeah. game in social media. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's just certain limits to it, right? I mean, I, I mean, whatever, I'm not here to judge, but if you're oh. most paying, charging for a mastermind, you've only done one deal, then I don't know who pays for that, but <laughs> yeah. people. Or <laughs> people just, you know, listening to advice from people who don't have stuff. That's always fascinating mm -hmm. to me too. It's like me giving you wholesaling advice and you're like, wait, how many wholesales have you done? Oh, zero. Oh, interesting. Like, you know, but, yeah. but people are very happy to give advice on investment real estate and i'm like you have nothing <laughs> yeah it's Crazy. easy to talk and um that's why i think it's important to show show yourself kind of doing it or showing that you are doing it right um i think the distinction there is sharing knowledge based upon what you've done right you, ha you have to have done something to be able to share it right even if it's the most basic thing you might be sharing very entry-level basic information and that's fine but not getting carried away with things that you really don't have experience in I think it's crucial just for authenticity's sake. Yeah, that's true. And uh, talking about, um, you know, we this podcast is mostly about entrepreneurship and financial freedom using that and real estate. Mm -hmm. 
owning real estate is a big portion of it. So almost all of my guests have real estate. You don't have to, but it's it's uh, it's a different perspective you do. So let's jump into that. So you know you you shared your entrepreneurship journey in terms of wholesaling. It's totally different. Uh, that's a different mindset mentality. And then, but you also own property. So how did that come about? Did you read like a specific book, or did you always know? Yeah. So it's funny enough. You were talking about Axel before. So we own those buildings with Axel. Okay. Those those or two of them we own with Axel. One we don't um, over in the seacoast of New Hampshire. So initially, when we got started, we rented that port out. We're like, okay, let's go get rentals and have cash flow and be financially free, right? So we're doing three things at once. We're doing trying to do multifamily. We're trying to be realtor. We're trying to wholesale. Quickly realize we can't do that, right? We got to focus on one thing. Um, but it ultimately, came down to let's. The goal is let's build this wholesale business up. Let's have it be a cash machine, right? I, we're looking at this business as an asset in itself, a cash flowing asset. Going back to the point about it's tough to live off the cash flow of a multifamily. Well, it's not tough to live off the cash flow of a wholesale business if you build it right, right? It can kick off some pretty serious cash flow. So if we can build up that business, automate it, right? Get into the owner's box where I'm not in the day-to-day, right? Uh, someone else is growing it and running it, right? I think the true test of do you actually own a business? Because right now I don't own a business. I don't tell people that. I say I run a business, right? Because all I've done is created a job for myself. I'm not a business owner yet. I'm a business owner and I can go away for six months come back and the company is doing better, not even maintaining, but doing better than when I left it, right? Maybe they were doing a million dollars in that year. I come back a year later, they're doing 1.5 million, right? So that's a true test of you got a business that's growing on its own. It's an asset. So the goal is to take that cash flow and then go buy go buy more multifamily. But to answer your question, we initially acquired those multis back in college or right after we graduated and we were doing a bunch of different things at once. We've essentially put the buy and hold on ice until we can build this business, and then we're going to take this cash flow uh, and start going and doing direct uh, direct to seller multifamily acquisitions and really building that up. Yeah, that's um, that's a really good point, man. Okay, so um, so you you uh, for people who don't know, um, Axel Ragnarsson, go check him uh, check mm-hmm. him out. He runs the multifamily wealth. Uh, Dude, podcast. that guy's so smart. Yeah, that guy's super he's, smart. He's smart. He's um. Super nice guy, super intelligent. He has one of the top pod, uh, one of the top podcasts, I think, as well. Um, yeah, in in real estate, the multifamily wealth well, podcast. So yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Um, anyhow, so that's uh, so you you got on on in touch with him. You went to school with him, and then you kind of figured out, okay, we could just buy stuff together and gain equity, and that's the your journey with that, with the exactly. Okay, so my business partner Isaiah was actually kind of his mentee way before me for like a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of got introduced to Axel through Isaiah. But yeah, that was our journey initially was that was like, we were just kind of first get started. We're like, because we had always been about squatting up what I call squatting up, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, we don't need money. We can just we got all the time. We're in college. We got the mm-hmm. knowledge. We got some knowledge, enough knowledge to go find deals and talk to sellers. So we went and found deals and brought them to people like Axel who had money mm-hmm. and were able to get in on deals that way. Yeah. You know, I, uh, Jake, you were saying earlier that, you know, you're not an owner. I would, you're still an owner. You're just an owner operator, just like myself and most people, mm. you know, you want to get into more owner, owner, where you don't really do a lot of the day to days. Yeah. So, but you're still an owner, bro. <laughs> yeah. I agree. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. 
Nice. So are you uh, planning to grow more in terms of uh, buying more assets with uh, Axel or by yourself? Or you Because, you know, you, you have access to so many deals. You can pick off the top deals and keep them for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. You definitely can. And it's we're probably missing out on some deals, but it's really just staying laser focused right now. We are just laser focused all of our time and effort. Because as soon as you start to bring on properties, it's a whole other component. Right now, we got to manage it, right? And yes, we get property managers, but then you got to manage the property managers, meet with them every two, three weeks. It's a whole nother skill set, right? So it's really going to divert us from as quickly as possible automating this business. So um, we're definitely, that's our next step, right? So as soon as we can, I think our goal is uh, 2025, end of 2025, that we're like pretty much out of the day to day. Maybe I'm in it two to five hours a week. And at that point, all the money we're getting, because you got to think about too, how many, how much taxes are we going to be paying as well? This is actually an interesting point. Have you ever heard the stat that 90% of all uh, millionaires are do so through real estate? Yes. Yeah, of course. I was listening to a guy named Jerry Norton the other week. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I think that's kind of a misconception because this is what happens. Why do all these people have real estate? It's not that they became a millionaire through real estate. It's that they, they are millionaires and they have real estate. Why is that? These people create businesses, right? And these businesses, they grow them, they make a ton of money on these businesses and they're kicking off a ton of cash flow, right? So say you're making $500,000 a year, 600, whatever you're making. I mean, you're 50% of that is going to taxes. So all of these people who are newly minted millionaires need to go buy a ton of real estate to offset their taxes, right? That's why majority of the millionaires, 90% have real estate, literally just for the tax reasons, aside from appreciation and cash flow, um, which is an, an interesting point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, uh, you um, brought up a good point that I want to break down for people. And you can add, obviously, uh, whenever you feel like. So, you know, I I like to keep things to where most people are accessible, right? When we start talking about, oh, you know, I'm buying a jet to offset my taxes. You just you just tuned off like 99.999% of the world. Ain't nobody buying jets like Grand Cardone to do that, right? Yeah. But almost... I would say everybody who's listening right now has a job, right? And let's say you make $100,000 as a job, right? Now, if you own real estate, you can uh, write off up to $25,000 of your spilling loss from your uh, real estate into your day job, right? So if I make hundred grand, I can take 25 grand from my real estate and then just wipe it off, right? So the top 25% will save me almost $10,000 in taxable, like, you know, just actually money back to me, right? Now you can do more creative things like what Jake was talking about. Like, let's say you own a short-term rental. Like we do own short-term rentals. What you could do is you could buy a million-dollar property. Let's say you put $200,000 down, you raise that money, and then you can do a cost-seg study on it and get up to $200,000 in write-off, right? So now you can, let's say you own 50% of it. Now you have a $100,000 write-off that you can offset. If it's a short-term rental, average days is seven days or less, you can... Um, take that against any other active income that you have. So you don't have to make five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars for this to be, you know, beneficial. That's why when people say, "Oh, rich people, you know, they get all the tax breaks," no, the, the tax breaks don't have written in them saying that rich people get tax break. It just says one thing: you get tax breaks if you do certain things. Rich people just have the capacity to do those, but you know, like you don't have to have money to do those. You know, I don't have millions of dollars in cash, right? But I take the same tax benefits. Um, what rich people do, right? So that's very interesting. Do you have anything to add? I think it's an interesting point in terms of taxes. It's like, why is it, I don't know, some people complain about riches, rich don't pay any taxes. 
It's kind of like a hate, hate the game. Don't hate the player. You know, it's like, this is in the tax code. People just learn about it and take advantage. Anyone can take advantage of it. Right. And more specifically, why is the tax code written that way? Right. The the tax code is written in this, and I'm not an accountant, obviously, but is written in a specific way to incentivize certain behaviors, right? Government, not a great steward of, of housing, right? You look at the projects or any government run housing, it's, it's not great, right? They'd rather have the private sector do that. So that's why they incentivize private sector through write-offs to own real estate because they know that we're going to handle it better. So that's why a lot of people in real estate and in the real estate business don't pay a lot of taxes because there's just a lot of incentives in the IRS code. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm a big believer of Americans or any, you know, any country people are listening to having ownership equity in things, right? Because if you have ownership in things, you're just going to be more incentivized to make it work, right? If you're doing a project, the government doesn't own it or the people who are working there doesn't own it. So they don't care, right? But if you own those buildings, you're going to care a lot, right? So the way the tax is written is the code is written is it's like if you want if you're going to stimulate the economy, if you're going to create jobs, if you're going to if you're going to have like sustainable electricity or whatever, right? The government will give you breaks on it because they want to incentivize those behaviors. Because okay, sure, Elon Musk doesn't pay taxes, but Elon Musk created so many jobs, and his value to the world is so high. He's literally the richest person in the world. Like literally, like he's two hundred fifty billion dollars, right? But people are like, oh, yeah. he should be paying more taxes. Why? Why should he pay more any tax? He's he's done more for society than you ever will. Right? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. People don't really understand that. It's an interesting point though, because right, because what is the purpose of taxes? Yeah. It's what? It's money to go help the community, right? Or help the the uh add value to roads and things like that. But if you're just gonna go out and create a ton of value anyways, what difference <laughs> doesn't matter? It's like, why would you even want Elon Musk to pay taxes? I'd rather him just keep his money and go keep making rocket ships to Mars, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> Be a lot that better a good point. I never thought of it like that. So you're saying that people who have so much value, they're contributing to society in a, such a high level. You're talking about little things like pay 10% taxes. Like it doesn't even matter. You're creating so many jobs, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. It's like, and okay, they pay those taxes. Okay. Then who's managing that money? The government, the local government, are they really putting the money to good use? That goes down a whole other rabbit hole, right? But if the yeah. person truly is creating a lot of jobs and opportunities, I would, I could argue, or one could argue that they're better just not paying the taxes because they're going to use that tax money and it's going to benefit the economy more, right? Just by what they're doing. Um, interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. I think, yeah, people get caught up on the uh, the percent, how much they pay. Uh, I think Elon Musk said that he's the highest uh, taxpayer in the history of the United States or something. Like, that's how much taxes he still pays. They're yeah. just saying that he has to pay more. I'm like, why? <laughs> he's, he's paying yeah. more than you. It's crazy. That is wild. Yeah. Awesome, man. Anything else, man, that we missed on, like, or we should touch on? No, I think that's that's it. I mean, I, I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, if anyone wants to connect, you can you can... Um, feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram, Jake underscore Burhands. Um, I am happy to answer any questions you have about direct to seller acquisitions. That's really my forte. So if you're either looking for deals or you want to start doing it yourself, there's a link in my Instagram bio for uh, our Facebook group. And you can get in there and kind of get get the in on the know-how, how to talk to sellers, how to do all the things, um, trying to put as much as much value as we can in there. What is your IG handle? It's my last name underscore Sorry, first name underscore last name. So Jake underscore Burhans, B-U-R-H-A-N-S. Oh, and it's the same at gmail.com as well? 
email me at jake at qahomebuyers.com. Oh, QA homebuyers. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so you yeah. did give out your IG. Okay, that's cool, man. One last yeah. question that I did want to ask you was, you know, I like to keep it current and I want people to take action, right? So if people are listening to this and they're like, this is a tough time to buy a house or start a business, like what would you recommend that they start doing to get into the game? Because most people just sit on the sidelines and comment and do about things. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like why are you commenting about things you're not even involved? So I want people to get in the game. Yeah. So what would you, what would you, like how would you suggest people do that? I mean, you got to take action, right? Everyone says it's the most cliche thing of all times, but it's the truth. I mean, if you're trying to go find deals, you got to go make a call, make one call a day, at least do something, right? I mean, even joining a community, that's great. That's a good first step if you've done nothing, but that's you haven't really taken action yet, right? You got to do some sort of action towards your end goal, whatever that is. So if your goal is to try to find an off-market property, go out tomorrow and drive for dollars, right? Put that on a list and the next day, make a few calls, right? Don't get caught up and drive around for dollars for a month trying to get a thousand and then you never even call anyone, right? So I think taking action every single day is super, super important. And you start to you start to stack those wins and build momentum and build confidence, right? Because um, ultimately what allows you to succeed in anything? It's your skill set, building your skill set. It's not really knowledge. Like the equation is almost action plus results equals education, right? You get your education from the results. So go out and fail and fumble and do all the things. And you're going to get your education, but the only way to build your skill set is through the reps. So you got to go out there and fumble. And one of the biggest things when I was getting started was like, I wanted to try to read everything and know everything so I wouldn't make any mistakes. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole of the school system and teaching you not to fail. But uh, I just wanted to know everything so I, I wouldn't mess it up. But then I realized that's how I learn, right? So now I don't, I don't, before I take action, I just, I'll learn a few things and I just jump into it because I know I'm going to screw it up anyways. And then, you put the reps in and you get better, but I would say take action, whatever, whatever that first step is, make sure you take some action. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you heard it here guys from Jake, take action. That's the one thing that you can learn today. Absolutely. Thanks. Vince. All right, man. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I definitely like to see five-star reviews on any service or any product before I purchase. Please take a second to leave us a five-star review, whether you're listening to it on Apple iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform. Take a second. It goes a long way. Helps us a lot to grow the channel. And thanks for listening.